The king has returned. The prophecies fulfilled. The years of longing are over. The king has returned. And now all will be made right. Amidst shouts of praise and tears of joy, the pleading for justice, the cries for our enemies' defeat. The king has returned. The king who was driven from his land as an infant, who spent his first years as a refugee, who understands pain and suffering. But this king is not who we were looking for. This king brings justice not over our enemies, but in the midst of our enemies. He brings peace, not in our land, but in our souls. He is the answer to the prayer we did not know we were praying. The king has returned. Long live the king. The king is dead. The hand that once held a branch now gripped a hammer. The king is dead. This king of kings who embraced the very nature of a servant. This prince of peace broken for us. This commander of angels surrendered to a cross. This king joins us in our suffering, empathizes in our weakness, and he calls us to die with him, to lay down our lives, to live in surrender that we may be fully alive. The king is dead. Long live the king. This king is not gone forever. The story has not ended. There is a twist, a third act. There is a third day, and on that third day, the king will strip death of its power and extinguish the sting of Hades. This king is not defeated. This king is not destroyed. This king is the resurrection. He is the life. He is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. The king has returned, leaving death behind, destroying hate, inviting us all to live in his victory. His kingdom, in His peace. Yes, the King has risen.
Welcome. Thanks for taking this journey with me. This is Resurrection Week, and I talked to you yesterday about how we're going to journey together to really focus on Christ again, about who He is, what He means to us, and who we consider Him to be. As I told you last night, the disciples were perplexed when they first followed Jesus. They thought, who is He? Is He a miracle worker? Is He a great prophet? But as they journeyed with Jesus and saw Him do miracles, taking people who had leprosy and healing them, giving them new skin, to see people being raised from the dead, Jesus calming the storm as they were on a vicious water when it was all in turmoil and, and churning, and He saw Him walk up to them and say, storm, be calm. They witnessed that He was more than just a prophet, more than just a spiritual leader, that He was God. They saw Him feed 5,000 people more than that, multiple times with just a few loaves of bread and fishes. They began to realize they were walking with the King of Kings, Lord, Lord, the living God. And so Jesus asked them a very fundamental question in the Bible. He asked Peter, said, Peter, who do they say that I am? And Peter basically replied to him, they say, some of you think that you're a prophet, some of you think that you're this type of prophet, but I know that you are the living God. You see, Peter had come to a place where he fully understood who the Lord was, and his inner circle of disciples, they understood as well that Jesus was God, and they were able to walk on earth with God now. Beginning to feel overly enthused with this feeling inside that they were walking with God, Jesus tempers their emotions by saying, I'm not going to be with you forever. What Jesus meant by that was that he was not going to be with them forever here on earth as far as setting up a kingdom that they were going to reign with him and be able to vanquish the Roman Empire. What he was trying to teach them was he was looking at something far beyond this world far beyond that moment in time. He was looking out into eternity that he knew that he was going to bring salvation back to mankind, that whoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He was going to bring an eternal kingdom made up of people from every tribe, every nation, including us who believe in Lord Jesus Christ. And so he takes the disciples and begins to explain to them exactly what was going to happen to him. He does something very unusual for them one day. As he gathers them together to do the Passover meal, which actually was a Passover meal that actually demonstrated what he had, the Lord had done for them in Egypt, bringing the people of Israel out of Egypt, out of bondage, into the promised land. They're probably thinking, wow, this is kind of a symbol how he's going to set up a kingdom and reign as well and conquer the Roman Empire and set us free. But instead, Jesus does something very different. He sits them down, he takes a pitcher of water, and he pours it into a bowl. Then he takes his garment, wraps it around him, and dips it in the water, begins to wipe the disciples' feet. So in John chapter 13, we find the story of Jesus washing his disciples' feet. He was teaching them that he was a servant king, not just a conquering king. That he was going to come to pay the price for the sins of the world. And that he wanted his disciples not to think of themselves as rulers and kings themselves to set up an earthly kingdom with him here on earth. But to think of themselves as more than that. To give their self away to other people. In order that other people might receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior eventually here after the Lord died for them and rose from the dead. So in verse 1 there in chapter 13, it says, Before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world. To the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. 
Then it says that he got up in verse 4 from the supper, laid aside his outer clothing, took a towel, and tied it around himself. Next he poured the water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and dry them with the towel tied around him. Some of his disciples actually were kind of hesitant to let the Lord, their God, actually wash their feet. Can you imagine that? They knew by this time he was God, and God himself was washing their feet. They were perplexed. Why would the one who they thought would come to set them free from the Romans actually wash their feet? And why would Jesus say to them earlier he had to die? All this was perplexing to them as they're trying to still figure out who Jesus was and why he was God, but saying that he would give himself up for other people. Now he humbles himself and washes their feet. And then Jesus explains to his disciples why he did that. He basically said, Truly I tell you, a servant is not greater than his master. A messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. Basically he said to them, Look, I've washed your feet. Now you ought to wash others' feet. For I have given you example that you also should do just as I've done for you. See, I love this passage of Scripture because it helps us understand Jesus in a more powerful way. Jesus didn't come just to set up his own kingdom here on earth. He came for you and for me in order that we might actually turn to someone who would give up their life for us and be a servant. Think about it. Jesus left his throne in glory, came born of a virgin, and walked this life as a young man into a, into a Savior who would die on the cross for you and me. It's amazing that the Lord would leave his glory above, humble himself, and come as a form as a God-man to pay the, pay the price for your sins and my sins. And so the disciples are still perplexed, but they realize the Lord has commanded them, be a servant just as I want to be a servant. Now what I'd like to show you in just a few moments, you'll see a video. The video again will actually exclaim, who is this king? And this video does a great job showing Jesus for who he really was. Not just a conquering king, but a servant king. A king that came to pay the price for you and for me. And this will lead our hearts into the tomorrow where we're actually going to look at Jesus upon the cross and discover that together. So thank you for taking the journey with me. And I hope this has been helpful for us to set our hearts ready to be able to celebrate for Sunday morning, worshiping the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. I look forward to journey with you. God bless you. No other king could vanquish the war horse or silence the warrior's rage while riding the lowly back of a donkey. No other king could break the dominion of darkness, the tyranny of evil with a reign of grace and a kingdom of peace. No other king could give his life for the redemption of rebels, his wealth to welcome the outcast. Jesus is that king, the king of glory, son of the living God. Not just another king, not just another prophet, not just another teacher. He was the one the world had been waiting for. The one to deliver us from captivity, the son of David and Abraham's chosen seed. He is the goal of the Mosaic law, Yahweh in the flesh. He is the one to establish God's reign and rule, to heal the sick, give sight to the blind, freedom to the prisoners, and proclaim good news to the poor. This Jesus was the creator come to earth and the beginning of a new creation. 
He embodied the covenant, fulfilled the commandments, and reversed the curse. This Jesus is the Christ that God spoke of to the serpent, the one prefigured to Noah in the flood, the one promised to Abraham, the one guaranteed to Moses before he died, the one promised to David during his reign, the one revealed to Isaiah as a suffering servant, the one predicted through the prophets and prepared for through John the Baptist. He is the Father's Son, Savior of the world, and substitute for our sins. More loving, more holy, and more wonderfully terrifying than we ever thought possible. He is our Jesus, and there is no other king like him. He is our God, our glory, our victorious Savior. There is no other king like him. There is no other king.